The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. By hearing from his word. <clears throat> so I get a cough drop to help me not cough. And the song's coming to an end, and I'm not done with it, so I just bite into it. <clears throat> and one of the pieces gets stuck in my stuck in my throat. So how ironic is that? <clears throat> so I sound kind of like that. That's why um, we are <clears throat> going through the Book of Leviticus together as a church. So if you're visiting here, wondering why in the world are we reading unclean, clean laws? That doesn't really even sound like it fits in with Christmas. Um, what, what are you doing here? Well, what we do as a church is we uh, take a book of the Bible and we go through it consecutively. We start at the beginning. We cover various sections, some smaller, some larger. Today we have a larger section in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. And we read chapter 13 for the scripture reading. We're going to read chapter 14 now uh, for the sermon. And the sermon's on chapters 13 and 14. So Leviticus, uh, the third book in the Bible, uh, Chapter 14, let's now hear the word of God. Once again, this is God's holy word for us, his people, which is useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp. And the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed wild, clean birds, <clears throat> and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. <clears throat> and the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over living water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair. And then he shall wash his clothes and bathe in, bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two lamb, two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old, without blemish, and a green offering, three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed, and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering along with the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. 
And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering like the sin offering belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford so much, then he shall take one male lamb for a guilt offering, to be waved, or to be elevated, to make atonement for him, and a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, for a grain offering, and a log of oil. Also two turtle doves, or two pigeons, whichever he can afford. The one shall be a sin offering, <clears throat> and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day he shall bring them for his cleansing to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering, and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave or elevate them for a wave or elevation offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand and shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, in the place where the blood of the guilt offering was put. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall offer of the turtle doves or pigeons, whichever he can afford, one for a sin offering and the other for a burn offering, along with a grain offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for him who is being cleansed. This is the law for him in whom is a case of lepers disease who cannot afford the offerings for his cleansing. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, 
When you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to be, there seems to me to be some case of disease in my house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. <clears throat> and afterward, the priest shall go in, in and to see the house, and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look if the disease has spread in the walls of the house. Then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around and the plaster that they scrape off. They shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them into or in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread in the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, its stones and timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes, and whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, and if the disease has not spread in the house after the house is plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, for the disease is healed. And for the cleansing of the house, he shall take two small birds with cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop, and shall kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water, and shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet yarn along with the live bird and dip them in the blood of the bird that was killed and in the fresh water and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and with the fresh water and with the live bird and with the cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn. And he shall let the live bird go out of the city into the open country. So he shall make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. This is the law for any case of leprous disease, for an itch, for leprous disease in a garment or in a house, and for a swelling or an eruption or a spot, to show when it is unclean and when it is clean, this is the law for leprous disease. Well, amen. This concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. <clears throat> and. Hopefully I did not use my voice <clears throat> on that reading. Well, what is one disease that you hope you never get? 
Perhaps it's cancer. It's the second leading cause of disease here in America. Might be a death sentence for you to get it. Or Alzheimer's, where you don't even remember your children's names or or loved ones. Uh, Perhaps it's a a disease where you die a slow, painful death. You say, just let me go quickly. I definitely don't want to get a disease like that. Over the past two to three years, we saw how deathly afraid the world was of uh, catching COVID. That's a disease they did not want to get. Well, what about an unsightly disease? That's embarrassing and that's shameful. Well, this is the disease that the Israelites did not want to get, what we read in our chapters today. There's nothing physically painful or harmful about these diseases, but they were unsightly. And if they remained uncured, they would be banished from God's presence, have their garment burned, or even have their house demolished. So you can imagine why they would not want to get such a disease. But why would God do this for a disease that's not even physically painful or harmful? Well, what God is doing is He's using these diseases to teach us about our spiritual uncleanness and the need for the great physician to heal us. And in all the symbolism we see here, we see the way back into God's presence. And so we're going to see this under two headings, uh, the diagnosis and then the cure. So first, the diagnosis. These are several different diseases covered here, which are all referred to by one word translated in our English as leprosy. Now, this is not the leprosy we know of today, typically called Hansen's disease, which is a very serious disease that damages the skin and the nervous system. The diseases mentioned here are much less serious. They're just skin diseases that cause discoloration. It simply involves unsightly spots that causes social shame. Skin becomes scaly, flaky, and discolored. Instead of leprosy, really the word can be translated as skin disease. I've heard it translated as scale disease. Or, perhaps the best, ritually defiling skin disease. Because the issue here was whether or not it kept you outside of God's presence. And so the same word is also used for mold or mildew in a garment or a home. Uh, To the Hebrew mind, this uncleanness or fungus that grows and the discoloration are all the same. And it's the job of the priest to examine these diseases to make a determination of clean or unclean. The priest is not acting as a physician or a doctor, but more of a health inspector. There are other diseases in Israel which physicians did handle. This one in particular was examined by a priest, not to heal, but to determine ritual purity, whether or not this person can enter into God's presence. So just to briefly run down the categories here, in verses 2 through 17, we see a spot, swelling, or eruption of some sort on the skin. 
And then in verses 18 through 23, it's a scar from a boil that erupts later. Verses 24 through 28, it's a scar from a burn that erupts later. In verses 29 through 37, it's a spot on the scalp or beard that creates an itch. In verses 38 through 39, dull white spots on any part of the body referred to as leucoderma, which are always clean. In verses 40 through 44, it's a spot on a bald head. A baldness itself is clean. Now, by the way, verse 40 is just one of those verses that you would find on a mug uh, for an elephant gift. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald. He is clean. Make a great memory verse. Or, uh, you know, for people who are bald, wear that T-shirt around. Hey, I'm clean. Anyway, just trying to make it interesting. Verses 47 through 59 is a case of mold or mildew in a garment, whether woven or uh, sheep's wool or an animal skin. And then in chapter 14, verses 33 through 53, it pertains to mold or mildew in a house. Uh, the basic category by which the priest makes the determination are twofold. One, the color, and two, the depth. If it's a certain color or if it's a certain depth, if that criteria is met, an unclean declaration is made. And so the basic protocol is it's declared unclean if the criteria is met or the criteria is not met. Shut up for seven days, quarantine for seven days, and then re-examine after seven days if it, and then what he looks for specifically is whether or not it has spread. And then they go from there. However, the consequences are quite severe if an unclean declaration is made. In the case of a garment, it is burned with fire. And to us, we may not see the big deal. My garments burn, I guess I just grab another one out of the closet. I have several of them. Or I just you know, go to the store and buy another one. It's an inconvenient cost, costs $100. I you know, really didn't want to go through this, but whatever. I at least I get a nice new garment. That was not the case for them back then. Uh, you can't just go to men's warehouse and get a new garment back then. Their garment was very costly, and that is why their garment was used as, as a security deposit Back in that day, it was very valuable. So to have your garment burned was quite a loss. But the consequences were even worse if your house was declared unclean. It would be demolished. And can you imagine having your own house demolished? Now you have no place to live. But the consequences were even more severe if you were declared unclean. We read what happens in verses 45 through 46 of chapter 13 where it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So a person who is declared unclean must tear his clothes, let his hair hang loose, and cover his upper lip. All of that in their culture is a sign of mourning a death. But no one has died, so what death is he mourning? Well, it appears that he's mourning his own death. Even though he has not physically died, 
He is experiencing a major aspect of the curse of death. And that is being cast out of God's presence, away from his people. Remember, this is what happened to Adam and Eve when they ate that forbidden fruit. God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, he certainly began the process of returning to the dust. We call it aging. But in the Bible, there's more to death, the curse of death, than physically dying. It also involves being cast out of God's presence, away from the presence of the living God for whom man was made. That is what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned. And this is what happens to an unclean person when they are declared unclean. They are banished from God's presence, cast out an unclean thing who is now without God, separated from His covenant people. But why would God do this just because the person has a skin disease? Now, the immediate thought is, well, we got to stay away from others so it doesn't spread. However, there were other more severe and contagious diseases in Israel for which Israelites did not need to be banished from God's presence. This disease did not physically harm them. It was just unsightly. But God is using this to highlight the shame of our sin and spiritual uncleanness. Something we can relate to. These diseases were unsightly. They were disgusting. They were gross. People wanted to stay away from such an individual. And for that individual, it was very shameful. Think about it even in our day. We get embarrassed by a lot of acne. There's some heavy medication for acne. Women will wear makeup to cover spots and blemishes. And we can be quite embarrassed and ashamed if we go out into public and we're, we are unable to hide a spot or blemish. God knows this. And so God is using these unsightly things that are a result of the curse to help us relate to the shame that comes from our spiritual uncleanness. Sin is quite unsightly. Sin brings shame. We see this in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they knew they were naked and they immediately try to cover themselves because of that shame that comes from sin. How do we handle it, though? Well, the way we handle it is we turn a blind eye to our sin. We justify ourselves. We blame shift. We stand in judgment of others. We view others with contempt so that we do not need to feel so bad about ourselves. Or like Adam and Eve, we go to the works of our hands. Once Adam and Eve fell into sin and they knew they were naked, that is, they felt shame. What did they do? They went right to the works of their own hands and trying to cover themselves. So we even use good works to try to make up for that guilt and shame. And how did that work for Adam and Eve? That didn't work out too well because when God showed up, they fled and they hid. But these are ways that we seek to hide and cover 
what every single one of us has by nature, and that is spiritual uncleanness. Are we not afraid of rejection, of, of shame, of looking bad, of being exposed, of being treated as an outcast and being excluded? Do some of us not become anxious when we're in a crowd? When eyes are on us? What if people see my uncleanness? What if I am exposed and shamed? We want to glow and shine. We want to be accepted, included, seen as clean and righteous, seen as a good person. The problem is because of sin, we are unclean. As Isaiah 64 says, every single one of us has become unclean and all our righteous deeds are filthy rags. And if I mention what filthy rags really means, you would be as embarrassed as you were last week when we were reading Leviticus 15. But this gets to our spiritual uncleanness and it shows us what our spiritual cleanness is. Deserves. As spiritually unclean people, we deserve to be cast out of God's presence. We deserve to be in perpetual mourning, weeping and gnashing of teeth in outer darkness, being exposed to the eyes of the Holy One, knowing our uncleanness, being identified with our uncleanness, crying out, Unclean! I am unclean! Forever experiencing shame. Having our unclean garments burned. And having no place to call home. That is what our sin deserves. Is there a cure? Can unclean people ever come back into the presence of God? And this brings us to the second heading, which is the cure. And we read in chapter 14 that someone may indeed enter back into God's presence after they have been healed from their uncleanness, something that only God can do. And the process here in chapter 14 pictures and typifies our redemption, the way back into God's presence. We have all this symbolism here that points us to the way back into God's presence. First, entrance into God's presence comes only through the priests. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 14. The unclean person doesn't just barge in and say, I'm going to do all these good works to get in. Rather, the unclean person is first brought to the priest, who, as verse 11 says, cleanses him. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ does. He is our great high priest who cleanses us and brings us back into the presence of God. As Jesus said in John 14, no one comes to the Father but by me. Second, we see two wild birds are to be brought. In verse 5, and your ESV or English may say live birds, it's better translated as wild birds. But two wild birds are brought, and in verse 5, the first bird is killed and its blood drained into an earthenware vessel with fresh, or literally living water, water that's life-giving. We see what 
bloodshed. We see a lot of bloodshed in the book of Leviticus. And we, as we've seen, that points to Christ who shed his own blood. The way back into God's presence is through the shedding of blood. And this bird here, uh, having its blood shed, being killed, is symbolic of the bird taking the man's sin. Because sin, the wages of sin is death. And so this bird is taking this man's sin and uncleanness and dying in its place with the sins and uncleanness drained into this living water, as it were. Then we have a second bird that is dipped alive in this pot in which the bloodshed for his sin and uncleanness is contained. This symbolizes the bird, the man's sins being taken by the other bird. The other bird takes on this man's sin, is baptized, as it were, into uh, this sin, and then is led off into the wild, carrying this man's sin away. And that's why the bird needed to be wild, so it didn't come back. And this is a picture for us of what God does with our sin. It is carried away far from us, never to return to us again. God removes our sin from us. And then verse 7 says that the priest sprinkles the man seven times with the water and the blood after that sin has been removed, symbolizing perfect and complete cleansing. Oh, and we are reminded of the water and blood flowing from Christ's wounded side when he was pierced through for our transgression and that water and blood flowed. That is what cleanses us from our sin. As the hymn goes, let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. We also see the cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop, all symbols, all red in color, like the blood that cleanses our sin away. We could think of what David said in Psalm 51 later, where he said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. The ceremony symbolizes that this man was once unclean, is purged, and now whiter than snow. Thus we see in verse 7 that the man is pronounced clean. What an amazing thing for someone who is unclean, someone crying out, unclean, unclean, to hear from the lips of the priest, clean. This is now your identity, not because of what you have done, but because of the sacrifice offered up for you. And this is what we hear from the lips of our great high priest, who has washed us who believe in his own blood, who shed his blood for our sins. Uh, that is, doesn't take the blood and literally puts it on us, but rather his blood refers to him dying in our place. That is the wage of our sin. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for our sin, but Christ stands in our place and he dies for us. Thus, all our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And so we hear from His Word that we are clean. We hear an assurance of pardon 
every Lord's Day that we are that we are forgiven and we have visible pronouncement in baptism that we are indeed clean. Third, we read in verses 8 through 9 that the man was to wash his clothes and shave his hair off. After this, he may come into the camp, but he does not enter his tent for seven days. God is going to use more symbolism here to point to another aspect of the work of Christ and the work of redemption. Uh, He shaves completely and then waits seven days, symbolizing completion and perfection. And then after the seven days, he shaves and washes again. And it's clear that he shaves off all his hair from head to toe. So now he resembles a newborn baby, scrubbed clean and without hair. This seems to be picturing the new birth. It is through the new birth that we go from unclean to clean. And then we see four of the five sacrifices offered on the eighth day. First, he offers a lamb for a guilt or reparation offering in verses 12 through 18. Now remember what the guilt or reparation offering is. It is offered specifically for a sacrilege. We saw that in Leviticus 5.14 through 6.7. And this is the first offering that this man brings. Now remember, a sacrilege was taking something that was holy and treating it as unholy, such as using the Lord's name in vain, defiling a holy place, or swearing a false oath. And the reason why this is offered first is because this skin disease is associated with punishment from committing this sin. In every example in the Bible of someone being struck with this disease, it is precisely for a sacrilege, for regarding something as unholy that is holy, committing a sin in a holy place. So in Numbers 12, God strikes Miriam with this disease for slandering God in the holy place of the tabernacle. In 2 Chronicles 26, Uzziah is struck with this skin disease for coming into the temple to offer incense when only the priests can do this. In 2 Samuel 3, David curses Joab's house with this scale disease or skin disease on his house when he violates an oath in killing Abner. God chose this disease as the curse for a sacrilege. And the payment for a sacrilege is the guilt or reparation offering, which is first offered here. And how does this point to us? How does this apply to us? Well, it's not the case that if we get a rash or something, we've committed uh, this sin. Rather, how this applies to us is that all of us in here, in Adam, have committed this sin. When Adam our first father who represented us, Paul says in Romans 5, his sin is credited to us. When he committed that sin in the Garden of Eden, which is that first holy place where God walked with man, he was cast out. He committed a sacrilege. And we in him did that. And so our way back into God's presence is through atoning. For that sin, which the one sacrifice of Christ has made atonement for. And we see something different here 
when it comes to the blood of this sacrifice. In verse 14, we see the priest take the blood and apply it to the man rather than cast it against the altar. He applies it to these various body parts which represent the whole body and the right side which is viewed as the favored side. And so this is representing the whole. The blood is applied to his right ear, the instrument of hearing, symbolizing that he has been set apart and sanctified by the sacrifice to now hear the word of God and obey it. The blood of the sacrifice is applied to the thumb of his right hand, signifying that his hands are now set apart by the blood of the sacrifice, that he may serve God with his hands. And the blood is applied to the right foot to signify that his feet have been set apart to walk in God's ways. And what we see pictured here is that the blood of the sacrifice not only saves us from the guilt of our sin, but also delivers us from the power of our sin. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, where Paul asked the question, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? And the answer is, of course, may it never be. But what does he go on to say? He doesn't say, how dare you? He says, how can you? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Well, how, how did we die to sin? Well, Paul says there in Romans 6, not, hey, you better really work hard and supply this righteousness so you make it to heaven in the end. Rather, what he says is, you've died with Christ. You have been buried with Christ. You've been raised to newness of life with Him. His sacrifice not only delivers you from the penalty of sin, it delivers you from the enslaving power of sin. Sin is no longer our master because we have been united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection so that His death is our death. His burial is our burial. His resurrection his new life from the grave is our very life, Christ living in us. And we see that pictured here with the blood of the sacrifice being applied to this man. And this comes by the operation of the Holy Spirit, which is also brought out in our passage. In verses 15 through 16, the priest takes the oil and pours it into his left hand and then sprinkles it seven times before the Lord with his right hand. And we have seen already that the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit. See that in places like Isaiah 61, where the Lord Jesus says he's been anointed by the Holy Spirit. We see this in 1 Samuel 16, where when King David was anointed with oil, the Holy Spirit came rushing upon him. And so the oil represents and symbolizes the Holy Spirit. And so to have the oil sprinkled seven times before the Lord, again, symbolizing perfection, this number seven, but having the oil sprinkled before the Lord symbolizes the Spirit bringing this cleansing before the Lord. As Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, 
Purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ's offering to cleanse us was offered up to God by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brought this acceptable sacrifice before God. And in verse 17, the priest takes the oil and applies it to the same spots on his body where the blood was applied. And we see here that it is the Spirit who takes the work of Christ and applies it to us. And then in verse 18, it is poured on the head, symbolized being anointed by the Holy Spirit, where his whole self is set apart in service to God. And this is what happens to us who are Christians. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us life. It is the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit who has set us apart by faith unto God. And this results in a cleansed conscience. If you were paying close attention to Hebrews 9.14 when I read it, you noticed that a cleansed conscience is necessary in order to truly serve God. Listen to it again. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works in order to serve the living God. In order to serve the living God, your conscience needs to be purified. That is, you need to know and be assured that your guilt has been atoned for and you are forgiven. Because if not, it says you will be engaged in dead works. They're still works. They're dead works, though. Their works done not from a purified conscience, knowing that you are guilty and that the work of Christ is sufficient to forever atone for your guilt. Rather, you will be doing these works in order to atone for sin, in order to deal with guilt, in order to avoid being guilty. I need to do this and I need to keep doing this so that I don't end up guilty. And that is to put us back under the covenant of works like Adam had, where Adam wasn't guilty yet, but he could become guilty. The outcome of whether or not he made it to life or he ended up in death was dependent upon him persevering in doing good works. That is a covenant of works. That is someone, especially when we have fallen into sin, someone who's fallen into sin, this is not going back to the garden when we're innocent, but when we have fallen into sin, which we all have, that is what the Reformers called a slavish fear of hell. Me staying out of hell is up to me and my works. But that is not what we see here. We see that this man who's brought back into God's presence from his uncleanness is relying fully on the sacrifices offered up for him. It's not his works that are cleansing him. It's the priests offering up the sacrifices that have cleansed him. And that is what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. All these sacrifices we see here point to the work of Christ, who himself, as our high priest, cleanses us by him offering himself up. And that is how we enter back 
into God's presence. That is how we have bold and confident access to come into God's presence. And verses 21 through 32 says that one cannot afford, that if one cannot afford the prescribed offerings, he may bring a less costly one. But the same process he goes through. We see again God's mercy in being willing and able to forgive sinners, putting no barrier in the way of any sinner. You can't afford to bring this offering? You can bring a less costly one. I will put no barrier in the way for you to be cleansed and come back into my presence. And we see this in Matthew 8, when a leper, the same word used here in Leviticus 13 for one who has this unclean skin disease, comes up to Jesus. He is unclean, so he must stay away from people, and he must cry out, unclean, unclean. But having faith in Christ, he comes up to Jesus, and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He knew Jesus had the ability, but was he willing? Maybe that's some of your questions that you secretly have. I know Jesus is able, but is he willing to cleanse even me? When we get our answer, we see the compassion and goodwill of our loving Lord when he says, I am willing. Be clean. And he stretches out his hand to touch him, which would make Jesus unclean according to Levitical law. Jesus is, not, is unaffected by sin. He's not contaminated by sin. Rather, it's the other way around. Anything he touches becomes clean. And we see that Jesus is not repulsed by our uncleanness. He touches the unclean in order to heal them and make them clean. He did, after all, come to earth in our body without sin, to dwell among sinners, to be with tax collectors and sinners, so that they would be healed. Are you weighed down by the filth of your sin? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, Read, pride, selfishness, the sinful thoughts that no one knows about but you? Well, there is a fountain filled with blood that's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And all sinners who plunge beneath this flood lose all their guilty stains. If you are unclean, don't deny that. Don't try to cover it up with your own works. Don't try to pretend you are clean when you are unclean. Don't delight in your uncleanness. You must be rescued from that uncleanness. But there's only one way of rescue. There's only one way back into the presence of God. And that is through Christ, our great high priest, who has offered up himself to forever cleanse us from sin. 
And he is both able and willing to cleanse you. And believer, we still have that ongoing battle with sin, don't we? We don't always win. We fall into uncleanness. We often feel plagued with a guilty conscience and unclean. And maybe that's some of you here this morning. You put on a happy face. But you really are weighed down. You feel unclean. You feel like you should stay away and cry out, unclean, unclean. Well, again, the answer is the same. If Christ was willing to draw near to you and not be repulsed at your sin when you first believed, then how much more when you are his dearly beloved child? Come to him again and receive forgiveness and cleansing. As 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then from a newly cleansed conscience, out of gratitude for what he has done, you could turn from dead works uh, once again to serve God in the gratitude for the forgiveness and power over sin that he brings by the blood of his cross. He is the great physician who came not for the righteous, but for sinners, for those who needed to be healed of their uncleanness. He is the great physician who continues to work his sanctifying grace in his own. And so may we therefore diligently, as those who have been cleansed, who have come to Christ, may we diligently hear and obey his word, proving not mere to be mere hearers, but doers of His Word. May we serve Him with our hands, living to please and serve our Master, not from dead works, but from gratitude for what He has done for us. We are clean forever. And may we walk in His ways, walking as Jesus walked, in all humility of mind, gentleness of spirit, putting off all the filth of the old man, because we have power to in Christ, and walking in the newness of life that we have by the resurrected life of Christ who dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that we would walk as those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Those who have been cleansed by Christ and have boldness and confidence to come into Your presence. When we fall into sin, Lord, may when we repent, may the first thing be is to turn to Christ for that cleansing and not try to make atonement for it or make up for it, leading to dead works. But once again, confessing our sin, receiving that cleansing, knowing that the guilt has been dealt with, leading to living for you in gratitude for what has been done for us by our great high priest, applied by his spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. 
That is tbcwyoming.com.